0: welcome to spooky south coast look i know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to
1: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here flying solo, at least in terms of the Spooky crew. I'm the only one here tonight. Matt Costa is still MIA. Well, not really MIA. He's he's working. Now that he has to work, Saturday nights. And uh, science advisor Matt Moniz is out in the field tonight. He's uh, on a private case, so uh, we will not be checking in with him from the field. But, uh, you know, maybe he'll let us know a little bit of the details coming up on a future edition of the show. But that doesn't mean we don't have an action-packed program for you tonight. Getting a little bit of a late start, but that's because uh, it took me longer than usual to set up Spooky TV, which is broadcasting live on SpookySouthCoast.com. For those of you listening to the first time, and and thank you for that. We've had uh, literally tens of thousands of new listeners each week as we've uh, chugged along here the last few weeks. And uh, if you're new to the program, we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night, but not only do you have to listen to us, now you have to look at us as well. Because if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com, Click on the Spooky TV tab. You can see what's going on here in the Spooky studio during the course of the show, and you'll see that my guest for tonight, John Brightman, is actually in the studio with me. Good evening, John. How are
2: you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, Tim.
1: Oh, you know, you're welcome anytime. The, we, we like to say the door is always open, but it's not really. We have to lock it because <laughs> it's late at night and I'm by myself with you know millions of dollars worth of radio equipment, so I do what I can. That's right. You lock better- lock the doors, You know, snipers on the roof, whatever it takes. But uh, we're going to be talking with John uh, as well as T.L. Jones, uh, who is the co-author of John's new book, Dark Gift. And uh, it, it's a dark gift for you because uh, you actually started receiving the book this week, right?
2: Yes. It uh, it hit Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble, Smashword, online sites like that. And uh, we should actually have copies in hand within another week or so, I'm hoping. So it'll, it'll be good. I can't wait to get my first copy in my hand. And... Uh, Get it out to some people that are waiting to get it.
1: Now, uh, you know, I put out a book a few years ago, my first book, Goes to the South Coast, and, and I got to say, there was nothing better than seeing the final product and, and seeing. How much they were able to salvage what I handed into them, uh, but I mean that it's it's kind of a nerve wracking process, especially being a first time author uh, to go through this. And, and, and Terry, I'm assuming, had some writing experience. Yes,
2: yeah, she did. She's she's written two other books, um, Jaded Visions, and forgive me, Terry, but I forgot your yeah, other one. But she two great books, and uh, this is her first time self publishing. And we self-published the whole book ourselves, and it was a lot of work for her. She she worked very hard to get everything put together right and go through the channels that she needed to go through to get it done. And um, I thank her a lot for all her help. She is, she's been a great help with the whole book. And if it wasn't for her, I honestly don't know if it would have came out as good as what it did.
1: Well, I mean, and also she's there to help hold your hand through the process, too, and say, no, 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 don't worry about that. Don't worry about that.
2: Exactly. Like, I was getting frustrated over the cover because, you know, it it wasn't what I had envisioned. It wasn't what I was thinking. And, you know, after the editors and people like that got done with it and saying what should be and what shouldn't be, I was a little frustrated. But she she calmed me down and put me in the right spot and told me this is – there's things that have to be this way, and it was for a good reason, and, and I just had to live with it and understand it, but she's gone through all this, so it was good to have her there to back me up and tell me why.
1: Now, with, was there any trepidation on your part? Uh, because we, we talked about this uh, in, in the past, and especially off the air. Uh, this book is a work of fiction, yes. but it's, you know as we like to say in the business, based on a true story. And was there some trepidation in going that route and taking all the information that you've received over the years and, and kind of creating a, a fictionalized version of it?
2: When when me and Terry first talked uh, about a year ago about this, you know, she had never really heard of it. She did all the research after our talking with her about the whole triangle and call Drew murders and things like that. And, you know, she didn't want to copy what was done already, like Chris's book, Doc Woods, or... Like Mortal Remains, the other book. So we were trying to think of a way that we could kind of make it fiction meets nonfiction type thing. And then that's when I just gave her all audio files that I sent her of what I thought should be in the book. Names, places, things like that, locations. And she just started writing. And she went on and went on. And every time she got about five, ten chapters done, she'd send it over to me and Chrissy. And, all right, read this, see what you guys think. Can we change this? Can we do that? Yep. Okay. She did it, and then we went on to the next ten chapters, and just kept going that way. So it did have some input of what you know we've investigated and gone through for research, but it is more of a nonfiction type book with a little bit of history in there of previous things.
1: Now you've pretty much been a member of the Spooky South Coast family since the beginning. But uh, for those who are new to the show, uh, like I said, we've we've had ten, we've had over a million downloads in the last four weeks. So uh, we have a lot of new listeners out there. So, you know, let's kind of give them a little bit of your background. You've been a a paranormal investigator now for a number of years.
2: Yes. Um, We've had the group for about four years now, um, but I was doing it a little bit before that. Me, my brother-in-law, friends, we just kind of started out just like a lot of people do. You know, hey, it's cool. Let's go check out this. And, you know, we started checking out my house. So it was like, well, what a better place than we got the Freetown Forest in our backyard, the Bridgewater Triangle. So we started going out there at night, checking that out and you know, we got some great EVP's, some some weird pitches and that's how we just started and then it kind of was like, well, let's form a real group and and start doing this out of people's houses and helping people just the way we tried helping ourselves with what was going on at my house and uh that's how it all began. So it, it's been a it's been a wonderful ride. You know, I get to come to uh you know, get to go to great events across the country, check out locations that a lot of people would die to get to go to, Mm -hmm. Um, get to meet some great people along the way, people that have helped me, people that, you know, a good friend of Spooky South Coast, John Zaffis. You know, I'm good friends with him now. If I I just had a case that I dealt with about a month ago. I called him up and I had to ask his opinion because I've never dealt with something like this before. And he was right there to lead me in the right direction and say, hey, this is what I would do. So it's nice to, you know, be able to have these people to call and help. You know when you need it,
1: and and not only that, not only to be able to rely on their expertise and their experience, but to also to just to have another sounding board of somebody else that can understand what it is that you are going through. I I mean, a lot of times, you know, you're you're saying you're, you're dealing with something you've never dealt with before. And I'm sure that comes up quite a bit in paranormal research. Yep. Uh, so to have at least a, another ear of somebody that you don't have to worry about explaining everything to yep. just to kind of get their opinion.
2: It, it's true. You know, I can call them up and, and say, or uh, numerous people I've, I've been lucky and been blessed with to have around that. You know, I can call and say, hey, this went on last night. What do you make of it? Could this possibly be happen? Or could it be this, a, a medical reason? Or could this be going on? You know, and it's nice to have them to talk to. Try and get a second opinion on it. What do you think? How should I handle it? And and go from there. So it's, you know, it's it, a lot of people say, oh, you, you're elbow rubbing just to get to meet people. No, it's, it's more of, you know, I get to learn and pick their brain and, and understand things that I don't understand right now. Because I'm just like everybody else trying to find answers. Nobody in this field is an expert, so we're all just learning to try and find more answers.
1: And and I think that is a I don't want to get too much off the topic, but that is kind of a criticism that's levied at a lot of people that uh, you know become part of the uh, the recognized names almost by osmosis. You know, you're you're there with them trying to learn from them, and as a result, people see you and recognize you, and you become part of that um, that level as well, but. What I think a lot of people don't realize is, like you're saying, okay, I can call up John Zaffis and 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 have his ear on something. You know, if John's got the time, he's willing to do that for a lot of people, yes. for anybody, if yep. he can, because that's the kind of person that he is. And and there's this there's this uh, almost like a, a disconnect between people who have been featured on television and everybody else that's out there in the field doing this, and, and they don't realize that. You know, to the rest of the world, like John Zaffis can probably go to the supermarket and only have maybe one or two people recognize who he is, you yep. know, as opposed to he's not, you know, the, people in the paranormal field aren't the Beatles. No. <laughs> and so you're, you know, you're able to, to, to kind of approach these people. And I think anybody that goes and has the opportunity to interact with these people realize that that's how they are. They're, they're there to kind of help. They're down to earth people. And what they expect is that now that you've become somebody who people will recognize as having experience in these cases, you'll pay it forward and you'll go back and, and you'll help people. And that, exactly. that's how it works.
2: Yep, it is. And, it, and that is how it works. And that's what, you know, hopefully I'll be able to do one day, you know, when I've been around this field 20, 30 years like John, is be able to say, hey, you know, somebody can turn to me and ask me questions and I still won't know all the answers. Mm-hmm. But at least I'll know a little bit more than I know now.
1: And, and the key is, you know, the the ego is there when you think you can handle every case on your own and when you can't ask for help and when you can't ask for somebody else's opinion and be willing to listen to their experience and to their reason. Uh, And that's actually, we're dealing with a case right now that I was actually going to mention to you uh, with somebody who's dealing with something uh, that's, that's quite negative. uh, And it seems to be that way. And I don't want to give away a lot of information on the air because I don't have permission to do so. But you know, when the case came up I was like well that sounds like something that I can't really offer an opinion as much as I want to help and this person yeah. you know is asking for help but uh, it's not something that I'm knowledgeable about so I refer them to Keith Johnson yep. and you know and, and Keith as soon as he gets the message and he has the moment he calls and, and he tries to take care of things and that's that's the way that it works so yep. people get too wrapped up in the whole you know the, the I don't want to say para-celebrity because we try to avoid that yeah. term but you know people get caught up in that whole thing uh,
2: you know it's, it's there's a few out there that you know, again, not saying the Paris celebrity thing, but they, they, uh, their heads are a little bit bigger than what they actually are.
1: <laughs> I think there's a lot of people in this field that are kind of, you know, making themselves a, a little mini career off a of pilot. You, you know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> you, you had yep. 15 minutes and you're just trying to extend that 15 minutes. Yep. And, hey, look at us. You know, our 15 minutes have been going on seven years now. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep milking it for all that it's worth. Exactly. But uh, now you've become kind of known throughout the paranormal world for your work with the Freetown State Forest and uh, especially focusing on the sites and even the paranormal aspects that are directly related to the cult activity that happened there. And of course that was a big influence in the story of Dark Gift too. But as a researcher, how did you kind of fall into that end of things? What drew you to that, to that darker side of the story?
2: Well, I think it was a lot to do with because of, you know, Growing up in the Freetown area, you know, my family owns so much land out there. It was just now that we're investigating and growing up here in the stories, why not let's go and check it out? Let's see what we can find out. See, You know, none of the actual bodies were actually killed in the forest, but they were laid out on the outskirts of the forest. And that's where they did their rituals. And, you know, let's see if those spirits could actually go back to where they were at one time because they say spirits can travel. You know, they don't just stay. There are the residuals that stay at that one location. But let's see if they could go back there and let's see what we could get. The Indians that were out there, they put supposedly put a curse on them. Let's see if we can get some of those that might have died out there for whatever reason during the King Philip's War. If it was just natural cause or if, you know, somebody actually did something. Let's see if we can get those out there and, and see what we can capture. And that was kind of more what drew me to the forest in actually investigating the forest was to see what's out there.
1: Now and it, it almost becomes a, a matter. You know, Chris Balzano talks all the time about how, even though he's now you know down the other end of the Eastern Seaboard, it still kind of calls to him. He still gets people who are asking for his help, who are trying to share their stories with him, and, and he's worlds away from it now. But it, it seems like once you've become part of whatever is going on in the Freetown State Forest, you can't really get away from it.
2: it it's true. I I can't. Um, we went to. Scarefest out in Lexington, Kentucky about a month ago and uh, you know I've never been out there and there was a lot of big celebrities out there and I was just a little peanut out there and they're asking me questions you know that they actually stuck around after my lecture coming up to the table before the lecture going you got to tell me more about this forest how can we get out there to see it how can we check it out I was amazed that some of these people knew this Mm -hmm. and knew to come talk to me and it's like it was just it was kind of overwhelming at first because I wasn't expecting to have that. The actual room was packed to watch the lecture. And when they got done, the questions were just coming and coming and coming. And it was nice to see that people were actually interested in it. And now I've gotten calls saying, can we come out? Can we check it out? And how can we do that? Where can we stay? And we just keep getting calls about it and wanting to know more. And so I think that's what's going to be good about the book is the book will give them a second thought of what could have happened out there, even mm-hmm. though it's a nonfiction. It's still, if this is in their minds of what could happen, what really did happen. And people want to know more about that too.
1: But there is kind of a downside to that too. And that is that, uh, you know, there's, there's still quite a bit that goes on out there and it's still, yes. it's not exactly safe for anybody to just decide that they're going to go no. hang out there.
2: I mean, what, well, it was just uh, a couple of months ago that some kids were out there, um, walking hiking and they got lost they had to call in uh, the state police they had to call in Dartmouth and Fall River and Freetown police to go searching for them and even some of the cops I kind of laughed about it it was you know I kind of felt embarrassed that Fall River cops that live there in the city and know the forest a little bit they got lost escorting the hikers out because they didn't know the area that the the area is very dense wooded and if if you don't know the paths that well you don't know how where you are you can get turned around in there and it'll take you forever to get out um so it's very i'm very lucky that i know the area and have grown up out there to be able to maneuver around and get to certain locations that we go to
1: well and and the other part of that though is uh when you take people out there i mean. For anybody that's listening on the radio and you've never met John, you're, you're a pretty big guy. So, I mean, I think you're, you're uh, almost as a bodyguard of sorts, too, when people are out there. And,
2: and it's also nice that one of my group members that's actually featured in the book, um, he is an actual police officer. Um, Mark, he, he's a New Bedford police officer, but in the book he plays a Freetown police officer. When he comes out and investigates with us, he's a cop. He's able to carry so that's kind of like a second reassurance for me that, mm-hmm. all right, I'm a big guy. If something, because you know as well as I do, it might not be the, the cult groups like Carl Drew, right. but there are still cult groups out there. Well, not only that, there's the
1: idiot kids that are out there. And and, and you don't know what they could do. I got to tell you, I don't think I've ever been to the Esonet Ledge without ever seeing a drug deal going down.
2: <laughs> or something.
1: Yeah. No, usually definitely a drug deal. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's not, you know, we're not dealing with Pablo Escobar out there. No. We're dealing with a bunch of high school kids. Yep. And, uh, and and that's the issue is it's it's not so much of the, the really, really bad stuff knows how to stay hidden. Yep. And it's it's kind of the, the mediocre walking the line stuff that you have to be afraid of, because, yep. you know, they're, they're the kind of people that get up in your face and be like, no, what are you doing out here?
2: Yeah. Well, you I mean, you know, Alan Alves, who's yeah. one of the detectives that dealt with a lot of the case. And he told me one time, he says, you know, you're taking people out there. That's great you got to know what you're looking for and be careful. And I, was, and I was kind of questioned by it. I was, you know, what do you mean? And he says, well, look for these little hints. He says, I'm going to give you this list. And he gave me a list of what the the cult uses their um, holidays kind of per se and what days they go out and do their rituals. And he says, go to the fire tower and climb it and just look around on one of these days and see if you see smoke or fire going from like a bonfire. Sure enough, we did. And it was down off a of Copacut Road. He says, now, when you find out where it is and you know where it is, go look. And he says, pull up. And when you get to the area where you think it is, you're going to see a lot of cars. Get out with your flashlight and point it towards the ground. And when you do, you're going to see, like, the ribbon that they would tie around trees for, like, marking it to be cut. But they're going to be pink ones. And when you look at it, they're down low on the ground. And you always notice that the moons, a full moon or or a new moon, because it reflects off the ribbon and that's how they follow to get into their ritual way oh, wow. in the woods he says so always if you go out there stay away on these dates stay away when it's a full moon things like that they could be out there we we stay we try and stay away from that stuff anyways when we take people out but it's you never know what you could run into
1: and and what's what's a lot of people don't take this into account and I don't want to sound like I'm in support of uh, negative or criminal or illegal activity but some of these cults have every right to practice what it is that they believe. Sure. I mean, uh, some of these, these people, you know, this they don't mean anybody any harm, and they just kind of want to worship in their own way. I'm sure that there's a quite a bit of pagan and Wiccan ceremonies that take place out there because you are so close to nature out there, and, and it is such a dense forest, and, and you can get away from, from it all uh, pretty easily, that, you know, sometimes... Y- some of these people have the best of intentions, and and some of them may even have permission to be out there and conducting these ceremonies. So you don't want to kind of clash with them and, and ruin their perfectly legal and acceptable observance exactly. of whatever it is that they choose to observe.
2: Uh, there's been plenty of times that we've gone out there, and uh, the Indians are still out there using their ceremonial area. The gate will be closed we we got to respect that. We won't go down to the ledge that night because the gates close. They're using the area for their stuff. They only do it three or four times a year, so we just go a different night. Now we've come to learn when those dates are, so that way we just stay away from there, respect their time being up there. Originally, it was their land. Even mm-hmm. though the state might own it now and allow them to use it, we still want to respect that of them and give them their time, just like you're saying.
1: And and Craig from your group is in the chat room saying that uh, the only religious group that has permission to be out there and have these ceremonies is the Native Americans that are out there. But I'm just talking about having permission to be out there because it's a state forest. Anybody yes. can go out there and utilize it. So, uh, I mean, they may well, not necessarily have permission. They, they can't be out there starting fires and, yes. and, 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 well, that's and dancing naked around it. They but.
2: can't be... Technically, they're not supposed to be out there after dusk. There, right. there are signs that say from dusk till dawn, no permission is granted um, all over the place. You know people are still going out there. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit we can. I mean, I have a little bit of a leeway because we own land out there. Mm-hmm. So they can't technically stop us from going to our land. But um, other than that, I mean, you know kids go out there and party. You know as well as I do. You just got to be respectful. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, if these people are out there doing that thing, long as they're not hurting nobody, if that if that's what they choose to do, then that's what they choose to do. I'm going to stay away from it because I don't want to be a part of it. Right. So
0: you just and you be also smart. you
1: don't want to be the one that's responsible for policing the state forest either. I mean, that's not your job and it's no. not your concern. Uh, and and there's there's no real way to to quarter off everything no, i mean there's, there's always going to be a way that people can get in i mean I, I, they've are, tried are all the roads blockable because i know that you know it's a crapshoot if the gates are ever all closed um, at the same time
2: well it's funny that you know they they try saying that Copaca and bell rock is part of the forest but those are public roads right so they can't stop you from going on those the ones that are gated shut are the ones that you shouldn't go on at night, but a lot of them they just don't bother because the kids will break the gates, things like that. So they don't bother. They have their one or two, you know, environmentalists that will drive around throughout the night. But it's so big that I mean, once you go down to the ledge, they don't drive down there and check that, right? You know, so it's it's once you get down there, as long as you're smart about it, not trying to burn a fire and and all this, they'll they'll leave you alone.
1: I, I've been saying for years that the the best thing that ever happened. To the forest rangers out there is the paranormal community discovering the Freetown State Forest because in effect, you know, when you're out there, naturally anybody that's doing it and doing it right is going to be respectful of the land and respectful of the locations that are out there and you're also helping to keep out any kind of negative element. I mean, what kind of cult is going to go out there and and, and have just say ritualistic sacrifice as an example? Well, let's hope that that's not happening, but who's going to go out there and do that when you know there's a possibility that there could be two different paranormal groups in there on any given night? I mean... Four or five, you know, people in a cult versus seven or eight people in a, in a, exactly. a paranormal group. I, I guarantee you this. The paranormal group's going to have video cameras and still cameras and, and all kinds of ways to away. Yeah, to to.
2: Well, that's kind of like what you're saying. You know, it, we're not out there to police, but the, the chief of the Indians, um, he kind of asked me, he says, you know, it was right after their little uh, hut that they had all the valuables got burnt in. And this past winter, some kids went up and wrecked the ceremonial area and knock down some of the benches and things like that. So he asked me, he says, you know, while you're checking it out, while you're up here investigating, would you just keep an eye on our stuff for us? Absolutely. You know what? Mm -hmm. They're great enough to let us go up there and investigate. That's the least I could do for them. And that's what we do now is, you know, we'll make sure even if we're not going there, we'll swing by there and just see if anybody's gone in and done anything or if kids are out there hanging out and destroying it. We don't mind if they're out there sitting out there like what we do. But, you know, if they're out there lighting the fire pit on fire and and they're doing stupid stuff, we're going to tell them to get out of there. Right.
1: Now, for those uh, who are unfamiliar with the Freetown State Forest and and what goes on in there, I mean, we're talking about a place uh, we mention on the show here all the time, the Bridgewater Triangle, which is a a paranormal area here in, in Massachusetts that. Uh, basically has all kinds of phenomena take place, everything from ghosts to UFO sightings to alien abductions, Bigfoot sightings, all kinds of mysterious creatures. Uh, And that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what goes on. But the Freetown State Forest, you know, we always said the Hockamock Swamp was the heart of the Bridgewater Triangle, but the Freetown State Forest is the gut of the Bridgewater Triangle. It's it's kind of the intestines of it where everything is kind of processed. And uh, it seems like... uh, Any given night, you could go out there and have one particular focus, is what you're going to hunt for. You know, tonight we're going to go look for, uh, you know, this particular spirit or this particular legend, and then another night we're going to go out there and go UFO sightings, uh, UFOs uh, searching. And every time you go out there for these different reasons, you could come back with plenty of personal experiences, plenty of data. You could, uh, in 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 regards to any of these. I mean, what what is probably your primary focus when you're out there?
2: Um, We do a lot at the. Actually, at the ledge and at the Indian ceremonial area. One new thing that we've been talking about with the group is when we first started investigating it, we weren't paying much attention at the ceremonial area, but we were getting some great EVPs from there. Um, You hear what one of our EVPs, you hear a branch snap, like one of us stepped on it, and you hear a female's voice say hello. Well, at the time, we had no female investigators in the group. So it was it was a pure EVP, a Class A EVP that we got. Um, then another time, we got sound, what sounds like a little kid. And again, I'm probably going to butcher this, but it sounds like it's in another language saying Chocho Sinka, which we think maybe might be Wampanoag. We're not 100% sure. But it's like, you know, we're getting so many good things. Well, it never dawned on us those nights until later on we never needed flashlights those nights we were walking around because it was either a full moon or a new moon Mm -hmm. so is there some kind of and we want to do an actual study where we go on like a new moon full moon quarter moon all the way around and then if certain star stars are in a certain place try that certain times of year try it and see if we get activity versus not getting activity because you know that they were big believers in that type of thing. Could that mean something on certain nights? That's why we're getting in it. We're not. So that's something that we're going to start trying this year is is doing that and going out there three or four or five times and hit the new moons, the full moons, the quarter moons, and, and see what we can get and see if that has anything to tie into the Indian spirits.
1: When you're dealing with these different types of spirits, I mean, it could be everything from the natives uh, to colonial time settlers to modern day people that are out there and, and, uh, some of these victims of these crimes that have taken place out there. It's such a, uh, it's almost like a, such a concentration of energy anyway. Uh, there, there's definitely an energetic footprint there that's causing a lot of these things to be perceivable. But, uh, everything that goes on there is just contributing more and more to the to the negative cycle that takes place in the Freetown State Forest. I mean, it is, as Chris Balzano called in his book, The Dark Woods, and that's kind of become its calling card. I mean, it's it's just a bad place.
2: Well, it's, it's funny. During my lecture, I actually use a quote out of uh, a CD that uh, Chris and, and I believe it was Chris Pittman mm-hmm. that was on. And uh, one of the quotes that Chris had said was that, Police officers and people said that if if you come to Freetown, it always seems that this is the place that these cult murders and if, if something bad is going to happen, it's going to start in Freetown, basically, mm-hmm. and in the forest. And that's what was said in there. And I use that during my lecture because it just seems that way. I mean, I know a couple of the divers that are on the local dive team for Freetown. And, you know, growing up in the area, kids would go up there, push their car off the ledge and throw it in the water if they had stolen or trying to do an insurance job. And uh, the divers pulled up a couple bodies one time. And, you know, this is just hearsay. They don't know for sure. But they had told me that after the cops did research and, you know, autopsies and all that, that they dated back to the 40s and 50s. Well, then, of course, the cops start thinking, what a better place to dump a body if you're one of the Providence or Boston mob. So you're in the right middle in the metal, of nowhere. Yep. And it's, it's right in between. And- yep. So, I mean, who knows? Could they have been up there doing stuff, too? You, you don't know. And it, there's so much that could go on out there that nobody would ever know of, mm-hmm. because you're so it's so far out in the middle of nowhere.
1: So then, if that's the reputation that has been forged for the Free Town State Forest over the years, you spend so much time out there. Let me ask you: Do you feel that it's a negative place? Do you feel that it it is the dark woods and that it 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 lives up to its reputation as being a place that you want to stay away from and and that negativity just continues to, to fester there
2: i th- i think there is a lot of negativity there but do i want to stay away from it no because this is this is what i do i want to find out what could be out there you know there, there's so many urban legends out there too you know you got the lady in white you got the mad trucker on Copacut road um, th- these urban legends there that's what they are but some of the stuff out there, as in Carl Drew, as in the Indians, they're not urban legends. So why not find out what possibly could have happened out there and what could be out there? But I do agree. I, there is a negative persona about it. And sometimes you go out there uh, during the event that I put on. I had a couple mediums that I've never met before, never worked with. We took them up to the pet cemetery that's up there in the middle of the forest. And uh, they, they walked up there. And they came back within two minutes and said, I don't want to be up there. There is blood everywhere. And we kind of questioned it. What do you mean? And there is big stones that go around the whole property kind of like on the boundary line. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said there's blood shed everywhere up on those stones that they were looking at like there was a giant massacre that happened. But I've looked up and done research. Craig's done research. I've never heard of any kind of like massacre or anything that's gone up there, but who knows?
1: And if they were border stones for the forest, then they would have been definitely in the years well past King Philip's War. Yep. So. But they could have come from somewhere. where From there was, somewhere yeah, else,
2: yeah. exactly. So who knows?
1: Well, we are we, we get about five minutes left here uh, in this hour. And coming up in the second hour, we're going to bring in T.L. Jones, the co-author of Dark Gift. And we'll get into more of some of the stuff about the Carl Drew murders. We'll get into a lot of that stuff that we... You know, always hint at here on the show, we don't really get in depth with, uh, and then we'll talk about the process of taking a lot of these stories and converting them into a somewhat fictional but based in reality uh, novel called Dark Gift, which is the, the new work by John Brightman and, and TL Jones. And uh, we'll talk with both of them about that process. And also, we want to take your calls if you've had experiences out there in the Freetown State Forest uh, that you want to call in and share. The number is 508 996 0500 one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty you can also email us spooky crew at spooky com, and uh, you can also jump into the chat room on spooky TV at spooky com. and uh, you know we've got a whole bunch of people uh, in there in the chat room and I, I actually see Moniz in there so <laughs> uh, he must have figured out how to work it on his phone or something nice
2: like well I'm glad that he was actually able to listen
1: right he's uh now he'll still be able to to join in the conversation at least. And now, when when we get into a lot more of this stuff too uh, about people's experiences, if if you do want to call in and share, uh, it can be anything. It doesn't it doesn't have to be anything related to the to the cult crimes. It doesn't have to be a ghost story. It doesn't have to be. It can be any one of these things that take place out there. Of course, we've got the mysterious you know creatures known as pukwudgies. Uh, yep. A lot of people are reporting more and more interactions with them uh, as time goes on, and what I think that. By giving people a, a forum to kind of share those stories, not only does it help uh, them to share it, but it helps us just get a better idea of just the amazing amount of things that come out of the Freetown State Forest. It, the, it's true. It's it, and it's it, it's never the same thing twice. Almost, you know, it's kind of like the old uh, TJ Max commercials. You know, never ever the same thing twice <laughs> because every time you go in there, you could have a different type of experience.
2: It, it it is. It's you know, I've heard of a few people that have come across what is the per se puckwudgie, and unfortunately i've never seen one or think what i've seen out there is one but um people have said they've seen it and every time it's a different story of what's happened to them um you know different picture of what they've seen some have said it's a glowing ball going that they follow down a path um some have actually said they see this little creature that they follow down a path it disappears they they wake up almost like they were in a time lapse, and they can't find their way out. They do find their way out finally, and there's the thing popping behind their car, or hmm. you know, or they say they it followed them home, and they and they see it looking in their bedroom window at them. There's been a few different reports like that, and I know Chris is who's probably listening. He he, he reported it in his book, you know, about that, and that's what people have said. So who knows? Who knows? There's so many different reports out there
1: and uh, if you haven't uh you, you know to get the non-fiction version of things if you haven't picked up dark woods it's a good place to go to to find out all the information about this and then you can kind of use that and and as a companion piece to get the the um, the story behind the story for your book as well. So it's... uh Exactly. I'm, I'm sure you're going to see a lot of on Amazon people who purchased this book also purchased yep. because it, they're just going to work hand in hand yep. with getting Chris's, you know, true life accounts of what went on and then you being able to take the story a little bit further. And I, I want to talk to you more in the second hour about, you know, how much of how much you felt comfortable extrapolating from the information that you've gotten over the years and and how far you're willing to go. So we'll do that coming up in hour two. But like I said, uh, we're going to take a break for the news. And uh, also coming up on the other side, we're going to tell you about a cool new event that's happening uh, coming up in just a few weeks, December 8th. It's going to be odd fest, and we'll we'll share all the details coming up uh, after the news. But it's it's definitely your chance to get out there and 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 hang out with some of the the people in the paranormal field, some researchers, and some of the people that are on TV. You know, some of the people from Spooky South Coast Ghost Chronicles. You know, we're all going to be there, broadcasting from this event, uh, and and we'll give you all the details coming up in the next hour. But the best part about it all is. It helps out a great cause, and it doesn't cost you anything. It's it's free to attend, but you have to donate uh, an unwrapped toy for charity as, nice. to be able to go. But, I mean, come on. Who doesn't love to do that anyway in the holiday season? So uh, we'll give you all the details coming up after the news about Odd Fest, but it's going to be odd, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it because it's been a while since we've done a remote broadcast, and uh, we're hoping that everything will work out all right. We think so. <laughs>
2: I mean it's always fun doing those when you're not sure if everything's yeah, going to work out is,
1: you've done them for us, and yes. I think they've invented the internet since the last time we did one, so hopefully <laughs> that'll help out uh, with trying to get that done. but uh, we are coming up on the news break during the news if you want to find out more about John's book dark gift, just go to spooky dot com or go to his website uh, n e p r dot com yes and, and
2: on n e paranormal research
1: research dot com yep. we'll be right back with more here on spooky South Coast.
0: Know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. AM 1420 WBSL presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Cosworth.
1: Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Oh, the computer kind of cut out there. Our internet's uh, slowing down as the night goes on. Awesome. I, I can't believe how much stuff I have to do tonight by myself. Uh, without uh, without Moniz or Costa here and, and just myself, Tim Weisberg, manning the spooky ship here, uh, we've got The radio broadcast, we've got the podcast, we've got the Spooky TV on SpookySouthCoast.com. Trying to make sure that I I can direct the video and have the multiple cameras going instead of just leaving it on one shot all the time. Trying to bring in stuff from the internet. Man, a lot goes into this program that I don't think people understand and appreciate. It it
2: is. It's a lot to see going on.
1: And they they don't realize either that we do it all for free. So donations are welcome. Uh, Tim at spookycoast. dot com. If you want to send them via PayPal, whatever, you, whatever you want to donate to help keep the show rolling. And if we get enough, maybe we can hire somebody to come in and help out with some of the stuff. Because, man, it's a lot of work. I'm actually uh, in in talks with uh, trying to get, uh, you know, trying to trying to get. I don't want to say interns because we can't really give people uh, internship credit. But you know, we want to give people the opportunity to come in here and help out with with a radio show and to say that they had that ability to do so. So. Uh, if you want to help out, shoot us an email, SpookyCrew at com and, and we'll see what we can do. Now, uh, we had mentioned uh, previously, before we get back into the discussion about Dark Gift, the new book by T.L. Jones and John Brightman, uh, and about the cult activity and the paranormal in the Freetown State Forest, we want to let everybody know about Oddfest 2012. It's coming up on Saturday, December 8th, from 7.30 p.m. P. until, no, we don't know. It's going to be taking place at... Patriot's Bar and Grill, 15 North Main Street in Bellingham. And uh, admission to the event is just one new unwrapped toy per person to benefit Toys for Tots. Now, it's only open to ages 21 and over because, you know, Patriot's Bar and Grill is a bar and grill. So we want to make sure that you're of legal drinking age because there will be some legal drinking going on. So uh, make sure that, uh, you know, if, if leave the kids at home, get a babysitter. Uh, because you're going to have one heck of a night. Here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a meet and greet. There's going to be a live taping of 30-odd minutes. There's going to be a Ghost Chronicles podcast with Ron Kolick recorded live. Spooky South Coast, very program, is going to be broadcasting live 10 p.m. to midnight. Uh, (laughs) Musical, and those should be in air quotes, it says here, musical guest. Uh, Paranormal party and prize giveaways. Drinks and food can be purchased from the bar. And let me tell you, bring plenty of cash with you. Because once you make it through that first plate of wings at Patriots, you're going to want to have a second plate because they are that darn good. And uh, the pictures will be flowing. The beer will be flowing. So make sure that you have uh, plenty of money to chip in. But also make sure that you bring plenty of gifts to donate to Toys for Tots. Uh, again, all you need to get in is just one new unwrapped toy per person. But if you want to bring a couple, that's very welcome as well because it uh, it all does go to a great cause. Again, Saturday, December eighth, two thousand 2012, 7.30 p.m. until eh, whenever we decide to let you go. I can tell you we're going to be there till at least midnight because we're going to be broadcasting live from there. Patriots Bar & Grill, 15 North Main Street, Bellingham, Massachusetts. And if you want to find out more about this, just go to 30oddminutes.com, and you'll be able to find the information there for OddFest 2012. It's going to be one heck of an odd time. So,
2: I might just have to make an appearance at that. <laughs> yeah, it's, get... it's it's my it's my birthday the day after. Nice. What a great night to go celebrate with everybody Absolutely. and hang out. We'll sing
1: happy birthday to you after midnight. Sweet. And uh, it's, it's definitely a great time. There's a whole big room. Uh, to the side of the actual bar and grill so we're going to be off on our own nice. so well, i've been uh, there.
2: i've been there once that's where uh it, it, that's the place that jeff and everybody goes after the show correct right, yeah. yeah so i've been there once after going to jeff's show
1: and uh it, i i like it because it's just a very low-key place yep. it's unassuming and and uh, it's going to be a great great time i mean we've done uh, our paranormal roundtable events there yep. uh in the past and you just you can't help but but uh, feel a sense of camaraderie when, when all the paranormal people get together there. And there's no egos. There's no heirs. Nobody's yep. giving lectures. Nobody's signing autographs. Nobody's selling anything. It's just going to be one big party. So nice. make sure you take place. Saturday, uh, take part Saturday, December 8th. We'll be there. At least we think so. <laughs> <laughs> depends, depends on if somebody can be here making sure that we get on the air. Which is where those interns come in. Yes. <laughs> so we'll see if uh, we can pull it all off. All right. So we are talking with John Brightman of New England Paranormal Research. Uh, and again, his website is neparanormalresearch.com if you want to check it out and see some of the stuff from the past cases. I know you're also working on on your uh, equipment store, too. I mean, how's that coming along?
2: It's actually hopefully will be completely done tomorrow. Um, it's just the background um, getting it set up for wholesale because I'm going to be wholesaling to other stores that are opening. Um, so it was just getting that done, but it should be all set for tomorrow. That's dot com mm-hmm. is the website. And, uh, I think people will be amazed at some of the prices that they can get stuff for. Cause that was one of the things that when I started, it was so expensive to get right. equipment. I wanted to get good equipment, but keep the price down as much as I could. And, uh, so far I've heard nothing but good things with the prices that I put stuff out at. So Hopefully, people will be happy when they can go to this website and get things. And what are some of the items that you'll be offering? You'll have all the stuff that you see on TV, you know, the K2, the REM pods, the digital recorders, real-time digital recorders. Um, but we'll also have full DVR systems. I mean, we right now, I can get a full DVR system, four-channel, 500 hot uh, uh, internal hard drive, 500 megabyte internal hard drive, uh, four cameras. A hundred foot of cable per camera and a twenty two inch monitor for three seventy five. I'm selling it. Wow! So
1: that's uh, and that's a five hundred gigabyte drive. Five hundred
2: gigabyte drive. Wow!
1: That's, uh, that's you can't you can't get a computer with a five hundred gigabyte drive for that much.
2: It's it's and it's good. I mean, the cameras are guaranteed to twenty to thirty feet. So I'm you don't need much more than that. And if you're doing a residential, right. you know, you go to a big place. Obviously, you might want a bigger camera, but you know, like an insane asylum, something like that. But average team that does a a residential. That's all you need,
1: but and but that's some of the higher end stuff too. I mean, if you're just getting out there and just getting started, you know, probably the first couple of things you want to pick up would be a K two, uh, would be uh you, you know digital, a recorder. digital recorder, the simple stuff, yeah. EMF and, detector maybe, and you've got those at rock bottom prices. Yeah,
2: um, K 2s fifty dollars. Right. Um, EMF detector seventy, which normally I think they are eighty nine. Most most websites, um, digital recorder is anything from thirty nine for the base. You know, just base model, up to 150 for a real-time, which mm-hmm. still isn't a bad that's, price.
1: That's about half as what you'll pay elsewhere.
2: Yep. So uh, I think people will be happy once it gets up and going. And we got links on there also to places like Spooky South Coast, other groups we deal with that have used the equipment that can give a good you know, rapport about our work and what we do and things like that, and uh, different other sites you can go check stuff out at.
1: Now, of course, none of this guarantees the presence of the paranormal exactly we never guarantee it but it's just something that you can have in your toolbox to kind of help rule things out and i and i purchased the mel meter from john and I, I gotta tell you uh i was somebody that didn't really carry a lot of stuff around with me on investigations especially doing legend trips events because everybody else has them but i found that i actually like to have it in my pocket because i like to have it there if i have a question of gee maybe i wonder is this line you know active and in the Fearing Tavern, the basement of the Fearing Tavern, you know, when we're having these spikes, to be able to go up there and and trace the electrical wires and realize, all right, the only one that's working is that light bulb and everything else is dead. You know, you wouldn't have that. Otherwise, you'd be in there just assuming that they were all live wires.
2: Yep. It makes a big difference having some of this equipment.
1: So, uh, again, uh, if you want to check that out, that's powerequipment.com. Should be up and running tomorrow, uh, just in time to get all kinds of Christmas presents for people. So... There you go. All right. Well, let's uh, bring in our guest, uh, our other guest, T.L. Jones, and uh, we'll we'll just call her Terry. Yes. Uh, we'll bring her up uh, and welcome her into the program. She is the co-author of Dark Gift. Good evening, Terry. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: Oh, we are spooktaculars, we say here. <laughs> and that's copyrighted. I'm tired of people stealing that from me. It's right. copyrighted. <laughs> so uh, we've been talking with John uh, a little bit about you know his involvement with the Freetown State Forest and how he got involved with it. How did you first hear about it? Was it from John?
0: It was from John. I had never heard of the area before speaking with John. And he sent me tons of information, and I also went to the Internet and looked up as much as I could, and it's very intriguing. The whole entire area it seems like there's just so much activity there. I would just love to come visit.
1: Well, uh, we would love to have you up here anytime.
2: I can't well, wait. To, I can't wait to get her up here and actually take her out there and let her see what she wrote about, and, and take her down some of the trails and the roads and stuff oh, wait, like wait, that.
1: Wait, wait, let's, let's be careful what we say here. Take her out there and <laughs> let her see what she wrote about. I hope you don't mean like actually. You know, victimizing her. But so when you, when you started hearing all these stories about them, and you must be thinking, this is like if Disney World is the happiest place on earth, then this must be the you know the yin to the yang of Disney World because it just doesn't sound like like a happy place.
0: Well, actually, it sounds like it's it would be a lot of fun. I would prefer it over Disney World any time. <laughs> you are a sick woman. <laughs> but what, what's I've I've heard that before.
1: <laughs> what's good about it though is that it's 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 actually a very very beautiful place. I mean, it's just we've turned it into something negative and 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 dark with with the actions of mankind in there, uh, and maybe there is some sort of force there that that causes it. But uh, you know, it is it's a wonderful piece of nature uh, in the middle of a pl- middle of an area that desperately needs to to hold on to that. And uh, I think that you know, you guys do a good job in the book of appreciating and respecting what it is.
0: Well, I would like to think so. Um... John was very forthcoming with um, a lot of information about the forest. And he just, he raves about it. it you can tell his soul is based in that forest. And I, I feel like I did him an in, in injustice um, with Dark gift John wanted to do a fiction, I'm sorry, a nonfiction. And we, we tried that, but without me uh, never being in the area and I, never meeting his team, I took all the information he sent me and came up with about 50 pages. I mean, there's no way it could have been a book. So we had to do the fiction route in order to make it work. And I, I know he really would love to have a nonfiction book done someday. And once I get to the area and get to see things, I'm hoping that we can we could do that eventually.
1: Well, when he's telling you about the State Forest and about... Uh, the different types of phenomena that take place out there and its sordid history—I mean, you've got to be thinking, kind of in the back of your mind, as a writer and and somebody who writes in the genre that you do. This is almost too good to be true. I can't—I couldn't make up a story this good.
0: Absolutely, you—you just—you have no clue. And with my imagination, you have no clue what was running through my mind.
2: <laughs> oh, like I like I said when we were talking earlier, Terry. You know it was the way you were sending it every five chapters, every ten chapters to us it just it kept me and Chrissy, who were sitting back at the house, wanting to know more and you know we were dying to get that next five chapters, next ten chapters sent to us because the way you just kept writing about it was amazing.
0: Oh well, thank you. Chrissy was very um encouraging. she kept me going a lot, and I know that, that sometimes you know you. You would have to pick up the phone and kind of push me a little bit here and there, too. But I'm very happy with the end product. I am very proud of this book, and I think that we have something to be very proud of together.
2: Oh, I, I agree. I agree, too.
1: Now, have you worked with, with co-authors before uh, in some of your other works?
0: No, never. <laughs> so It then, was a new experience all the way around.
1: You must have really believed in, in the story, then, to, to subject it, because I, I just recently put out my second book and it was co-written with Chris Balzano and with us you know we were able to to. it was very organic how we wrote together but you know that's because we've basically been the same person for the last seven years yep. <laughs> working together on Spooky South Coast yep. uh, but to, to bring somebody else in and to have them have their artistic vision and to have you have your artistic vision and of course John, the researcher and John also wanting to be true to the actual facts of the case as well I mean, there, there's a lot of potential there for there to be conflict uh, during the the creative process.
0: Oh, absolutely! And you know, I'm not the easiest person in the world to work with. I'm very <laughs> stubborn, and when I have a thought in my mind, it it takes an act of Congress to change it. But John, on the other hand, is very easygoing, very open-minded. He listened to everything that I had to say, and he you know he would say, "Well, let's let's try it this way." And, you know, so then we'd make a few changes here or there, but we worked very well together. I, I really enjoyed my experience working with John.
2: We did. I was very surprised because I was, even though, you know, I did the research part of it. I gave her the pitches to go by. I gave her the background, the layout of it, you know, told her all the history of what is the true part of it to let her mind run to make the story. Um You know, I was very surprised that even with just telling her that the story came out the way it did. And I was a little worried because, you know, she's down there in Texas, has never seen the area. I'm sending her photos of the ledge from down the bottom, up the top, showing the view, showing what it looks like looking down. And she's writing this book based on that, you know, and I'll get text at like midnight. So when you set up a DVR system there, do you run cameras up the top? Do you run them down the bottom? Well, how do you power your DVR out there? You know, these are all things that she was asking me could be midnight, could be six in the morning, could be 10 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting text while I'm sitting at work and I'm like, OK, this is how I did this. OK, great. Two hours later, how did you do this? Uh, this is how I did that. Great. And that's how we just worked it out that way.
1: Well, was there any part of of the true story that John came to you with that you said to him? You know, this actually sounds almost too good to be true. Like, if we put this in the story, people might have a hard time suspending belief for the story, even though it's a true thing that actually happened. Was there anything that, that didn't make it into the book or anything that you didn't feel comfortable dramatizing uh, for the story?
0: Um, there's a lot of things, unfortunately, that didn't make it into the book because it wouldn't fit into the storyline itself. Mm-hmm. But I, I took the urban legends that John sent, to me, and I, you know, tried to throw those throughout, you know, here and there in the book. And I'm, I'm trying to remember if I touched on the Carl Drew murders at all. Those were very interesting to me, and um, I, I'm not even remembering if I even put that I, in there. Is it in there, John?
2: No, um, you you didn't really touch on that at all. It was more about the history of the wedge, um, more of the urban legends part of it, but that was. That was it. We, I think we had agreed to kind of stay away from that just because of the fact we didn't want people to get mixed up and think that we were recreating it mm-hmm. when we weren't, you know, that this was a totally different story that's just kind of about the college Drew, but totally different and the right. other sides.
1: And and kind of almost inspired by, to some degree, but not, not exactly. based on. And, that, yep. and that's a problem because... Uh, you know as as much as we like to think that these murders are are solved and that people have paid for these crimes that carl drew is paying the price uh for these murders uh, it, it's really still up in the air i mean as it's, we saw recently with the whole robin murphy you know going back to jail story you know it, it's something that's never we're never really going to have the full story it, of what's it, going on
2: it's funny because while we were writing this book um i think i had called terry one night and i said you're not going to believe the phone call i just got in the text message and I still have it to this day saved. And it was this long, rambled-on thing that you would think somebody that just came out of a loony bin sent me. I I couldn't make sense of it at first. I had to read it like four or five times. And it was somebody that used to live up here that was actually part of all this, that was friends with Robin and Carl and would hang out with them, that actually lives like three hours from Terry down in Texas. Hmm. And she actually, at first, when we were talking about the book – we were going to possibly do based on all true facts. Mm-hmm. And so Terry was going to drive out there and meet this woman and everything. And But then she was saying she didn't want to be known for this. She didn't want her name to be put out there. So it was a little wary. But uh, I, I'm glad that we kind of changed it and did, stayed away from that route and went the route that we did with right. the book. Because we
1: don't know how far those tentacles reached. And we don't know... Um, how active those who are involved with that case still might be today. Exactly. I mean, when Alan Alves is hinting at that kind of stuff to you, you know, when he's saying, "Drop it," yeah. and then you probably should drop it. Exactly. Exactly. And, and when you're when you're hearing the the these reports terry and and when you're hearing that somebody is that close to you that was involved in all this it sounds like you know the researcher and you wanted to get out there but i'm sure there was some trepidation too on your part that you don't want to be glamorizing uh some of these uh, events that happened
0: oh absolutely you never want to glamorize murder and uh i was i was very interested in in driving though to meet this woman and i wasn't worried about doing that um I'm, you know, I'm an ex-police officer, so I can handle my own. I just was a little bit put out whenever it ended up not being a nonfiction book, and then, you know, you couldn't actually get out and talk to these people and, and find out, as best we could, the true story. Well, I, You're right. I would never want to glamorize that. But as, as a
1: former police officer, then, you know that the, the danger isn't in uh, your own personal protection, but the danger is in uh giving this person who was involved in this stuff a platform and giving them the attention for it because you never know what could be the end result of that. I mean it could be a matter of you're helping somebody go through a cathartic, you know, getting it off their chest and and, and making their amends with it, but at the same time you could also be something could still be twisted up in their mind and, and you could be flipping that switch that makes them want that notoriety for themselves again.
0: Well, that's definitely true. That's one way to look at it, and I have to admit I didn't look at it in that respect, but certainly you're absolutely right.
1: I just, I inherently don't trust anybody that's involved in cults because...
0: Oh, I don't either. Anybody (laughs) in their right mind wouldn't.
1: (laughs) And especially anybody that was involved in in this cult because it's always reeked of to me that we've been given uh, the public scapegoats for something that was much, much bigger. I just... Can't buy as much as the stories that I've heard about Robin Murphy, uh, about her being this almost bewitching person, uh, but as much as, as there's that aspect of it, I, I just don't buy that this group of people who did what they did and, and lived the lifestyle that they did and, and had the intelligence and in the organization level that they did. Uh, could really pull all this stuff off, I think that there had to have been a larger guiding hand, and that larger guiding hand is still out there.
2: Well, you know, in in talking with Alan and other people that I have, you know, Alan's told me some stuff, and I'm sure you that, you know, we can't say here because Mm -hmm. he's asked to keep it private, but he believes that there was an actual TV personality that was involved in a very big ring that dealt with Kyle himself and kind of was more of the above and beyond with higher officials from different towns. And, you know, I, I think there couldn't be that higher person than sure. Carl. And Kyle was, you know, a lot of people said it the right way. And even in Chris's book and other people in, in other books, Kyle was kind of the fall guy. He fit that persona. He was that, you know, drug dealer and, and uh, you know, uh, pimp that he just fit that persona that, it just kind of was like, he's the one we got to base it on.
1: But when you're saying drug dealer and pimp, too, you also have to think, uh, you, you know, don't think of the most successful pimp yes. and drug dealers. No, 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 no Think no. of like the most wannabe yes. version of those. Yep. And that's kind of what you have. And, and I, I think you're right. I think he did kind of become the fall guy for it. Uh, And he maintains to this day that he he was the fall guy for for Robin Murphy's mastermind uh, to the whole thing.
2: And I think it's even more than Robin Murphy. I I, I truly believe that, you know, we're talking to some of these people, even some of the detectives from the Fall River Police Department that dealt with it. Even they believe that there's that higher up above Colin Robin that were orchestrating the whole thing. And there could be something to that.
1: You know, I got to tell you too. When I when I received uh, a copy of the book from John, I was reading through it. Uh, right at the beginning, I kind of had a little bit of a, a question about some of the things that was going on. And I'm reading about this. Uh, it, it opens. It definitely draws you in right from the beginning. It opens with another murder, and uh, and a police officer calling his paranormal investigator buddy, and the details that he's giving over the phone. I'm thinking to myself gee, a cop could never give these details to somebody like this. It's I just can't buy it that it would happen. And then I look at Terry's biography, and I realize that she's a former police officer, and then I think, gee, I know that John has a police officer. Like Now now we've gone from the point of I don't believe it to now, not only do I believe it, but somebody's getting in trouble over this.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: but it, it does definitely seem like uh, when, when you're dealing with this, um, these things do happen, and, and they have such a reach that you uh, – there the more different aspects of it that you can get involved to have a paranormal research group that is involved in it to have you know the police presence in it i mean you're you're basically covering this story from all angles
2: yes yeah and, and that's why I think it was a a great fit the way we joined up to do this because you get the paranormal aspect you got the police aspect from Terry being a former police officer being able to put her input into how things would be thought through that state of mind not just a researcher Mm -hmm. putting the book out um with with that you know you're able to like you said in the beginning where the cop mark calls me up and we're talking about it this is what i found that you know i might not have thought to do that if i did this all on my own with nobody else's help right why would i have put that in there i wasn't thinking from that side so i think it was a great fit having both of us work together on this
1: I mean, Terry, was there any, any you've written, of course, in, in the genre before, but is, is there any trepidation on your part of giving away tricks of the trade uh, of the police? Or, or are you trying to be as open and honest in, in the creation of these characters as you can be in, in showing the different aspects of, of their work?
0: I'm being very honest um, in the police as- aspect in my books. I want people to understand that police officers are human beings. We are no different than anybody else. And we get a bad rap a lot of times. They don't understand sometimes the things that we see and we go through. And the way that I had um, Mark calling John and, and giving John all these gruesome details. Mark wasn't about to go home and, and give these gruesome details to his wife. But he had this really good friend of his that he knew he could trust, which, you know, we all have these good friends that we know we can trust. And we tell them probably more things than we should. But it does happen. It,
1: that is very true to life. And uh, John and I were just laughing while you we were speaking because uh, low battery Dave in the chat room has, has solved the murders. He said it was Ted Kennedy. I
0: saw
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: but uh, I, I think the the real key to the whole thing uh, when you're trying to present this as a as a fictionalized version and a fictionalized account is you have to have you know you have to have that protagonist that people can understand and, and relate to. And you do a great job in creating, you know, John as the character, uh, of being able to to kind of wander through this and to take the audience through this, and and take them on this journey. And John, I got to ask you—I mean, what does it feel like to to be a fictional character now?
2: It, it's it's amazing, you know. I I it, I came up with this idea—I don't know, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago—and I kept telling my girlfriend and and friends, my family you know, I want to write a book about the Freetown Forest. They're like, you're nuts. You know, they they it, it never happened. It'll never happen. And then that's when I got to meet Terry, and I I started telling her about it, and it just, it finally seemed like it was going to take off. But I didn't know if I was actually going to be the fictional character in it, or I was just going to, you know, kind of lead her down the path and tell her some of the story, and mm-hmm. we were going to go the nonfiction way, you know. Um, so it was kind of nice, and, and it was kind of, You know, a shock, too, to when I finally got to read it and see, you know, my my character in there and how this was done, that was done. And as you go farther on in the book, you know, you'll get to see that, you know, we explain some of the technical aspect from investigating and different pieces of equipment we use when we set up, things like that, too. So it, it was good to see that it was both aspects of it.
1: And, and Terry, did you have a lot of problems with flushing John out as a character, or did you kind of not worry about John Brightman, the person, and focus instead on John, and what, what's the last name again of the character? Bingham. John Bingham? Bingham. So is yeah. its it, don't worry so much about John Brightman and just create John Bingham, or did you really want to have them be kind of one and the same?
0: Well, you know, I, John really wanted to use his, his investigative team um, as the center of the book. So... He sent me the, the, the first names of all of his team members and I told him I said since it's fiction, you're gonna to have to let me spin them the way you know that I, I want to because I'm not gonna go through each member getting permission to put them in a book and you know, so on and so forth and he said, Oh absolutely, have at it. So when I sat down to write each one of these different characters they just, they came to life for me. I, I don't know where the descriptions came from. I gave them all fictional last names, but all the first names are, you know, the team members' names. And they're just, they're a fun group of people. <laughs> it's, but no, it's, I didn't worry about John Brightman the person. I made I made John Bingham come alive. It,
2: it's funny because, you know, we keep saying this with a lot of people that have read the book already and, and people that are close to the group that know the group. Uh, when you actually start reading about the characters and as she describes them it was it was almost like she was here with us because with the exception of one and it 's not that it 's a bad thing, but you would think that she had saw a picture of the car of of the group uh, that she knew who the group was and has worked with them because she nailed every one of us perfect i mean right down to the aspect of how they act, their looks things like that um Or what the role would play. Like, for instance, one of them in the group, Matt, you know, he is kind of a muscular guy and, you know, because he he was in the army. So he's kind of that strong, kind of carries himself very prominent. And, you know, same thing with Kaylee. She is a little short young girl with with wavy brown, like chocolate hair, like she describes her. But yet you see these people for real in real life and it's like what they are and she's never met him. It's uncanny how she nailed that. So perfect.
1: Well, if you ever need, you know the the sexy, silky voiced paranormal talk show host, you know uh, I'm sure that whatever you description you came up with would would be pretty accurate to me. You know, as long as he was a you know a, a, a studly guy and you know wealthy and. <laughs> but uh, that's that's the thing about this book and, and about taking this leap in in the facts of the Freetown State Forest and, and putting them into a fictional story like this. I don't mean this to be any offense to you, John, yep. but many paranormal investigators out there feel like their story would make a great book. Oh, and they absolutely. feel like they have a book in them to tell. And I don't, I'm not saying that in yeah, a, in a no, negative way, but me. I'm just saying everybody feels that way. Yep. And everybody in life feels like they have a story to tell and that they have... But a lot of times if we just told our stories the way that they are, you know, it wouldn't have that broad-based appeal. And I think this way you're able to take... What goes on in the Freetown State Forest, and put it in a way that's going to appeal to a much larger audience. I mean, you've got not only people that are fans of the paranormal now, uh, and people that are fans of the history of the paranormal, but you're going to get people that are interested in the true crime, people that are interested in the fictional crime, yep. you know, and, and you're able to, to to tell that story in a much more effective way into uh, and, and a much broader audience.
2: You, you are, and, and that was the the good thing that, and I'm glad she talked us out of that because, you know, we started thinking about it at first, and again. You know, we keep saying it, but there was Doc Woods written. There was Mortal Remains written. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest thing that she had said. You know, I've I've obviously read Doc Woods. I've not read Mortal, Mortal Remains yet. Um, but that was the biggest thing. And she's like, I don't want to read either one of those. I, I want to do this book right from scratch, the way without any other interference other than what you send me. And uh, so it, it worked out better that way because I don't want to go the same route and just put – all the facts down and have it be another dark woods or another mortal remains. We wanted to do something different and that's what we did.
1: And, and I, I, my hat is off to you, uh, Terry, for being able to do that because, uh, it, the people who are involved in the paranormal become so guarded about their research and become so adamant about having everything that they do portrayed in, the most accurate light possible. And the fact that John was able to have that trust in you as, as a, as a co-author and as, as, as a, you know, a writer of fiction to be able to, uh, put that trust that you'll be able to represent it in the proper way. Uh, that, that's just, a, that's a huge thing.
0: Oh, it, it was very, um, interesting in the fact that John told me his mother, uh, bought the book right after it was released and, she had asked him why he didn't tell her the woman had come up there and was familiarizing herself with the area and why she didn't get to meet her and so on and so forth. And he told her, she's never been here. What are you talking about? And she said, no, that's impossible. She's nailed it.
2: Yeah, because <laughs> so some of the... Some
0: obviously, he gives really good information. <laughs>
2: you know, she grew up there. I mean, she lived on High Street. My father lived on the other side of Copacut Road on the on the Far River side. So when she, when Terry's describing this stuff in the book, you know, down Copacut, you go here and this will take you to this place, that'll take you to that place. She thought Terry was from the area. And I said, no, she's from Texas. She's never seen it. She's like, that can't be. How could she have done this? And I said, just for me explaining, it takes 10 minutes to get here. This mm-hmm. is where you would go. And that's it.
1: And Google Maps might have helped too a little bit, right? <laughs> Actually, I
0: didn't use Google Maps. Oh, well. I, I called John for every question I had. I called him one time and said, hey. To get from, you know, point A to point B would take you how long? And, you know, could you could you reach it if you drove through the forest, or do you have to go out onto the public roadways? And, I mean, oh, he, he literally walked me through the area.
1: Well, so, I'm impressed that not only did you go that route, but that he didn't say to you at some point, hey, have you ever heard of Google Maps? No. Stop I texting <laughs> me at 1230 in the morning.
0: <laughs> Sometimes it would be three in the morning. Are you kidding? He was very, he was very lenient in, in allowing me to... To contact him whenever I needed information, he was always available. I think
1: a lot of people don't know this about John Brightman. He never sleeps.
2: Yeah, pretty much.
0: <laughs> but if you ask, if, if
2: you ask Christine, she says I sleep fourteen hours a day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's uh, that's how we all learn. Uh, us men, we learn to just uh, sleep with our eyes open. Yep. Usually, much. usually when the women are talking to us, oh yes, honey, I heard everything you said.
0: <laughs> yeah, Selective hearing. We're all well aware of that. <laughs>
1: So when you're putting this all together then, and you're, you're, you're putting all this story down, and it's finally starting to come together, and, and there's probably some excitement uh, in the fact that everything is jiving together between the story that John wants to tell and the story that you want to tell, uh, are you starting to think then now about uh, the people who are directly related to these true cases that the story is based on? Is it now become... Uh, now that you 've been able to uh, uh, appease both yourself as the writer and John as the writer, uh, now are you starting to worry about making sure that you 're uh, kind of being true to the original people that that, that this happened to to the families uh, that these might happen to I know you, I know you didn 't write about the actual victims and about the actual murders that took place, but you know it 's going to be in the back of people 's minds that this is something that real people did go through Well,
0: the murder is in the book. Are, they're total fiction. They mm-hmm. should not even resemble any of the murders that took place in the but forest that, previously. But that
1: being said, though, there still are going to be families of victims of people that were murdered in, in relation to the Freetown State Forest, that whether or not people know all the facts, they're still going to try to make those connections in their minds. So you mm-hmm. do have to kind of keep that in, in, into the back of your mind, or, or did you not even worry about that?
0: No, I didn't even give that a thought, to be honest with you, because in my mind, the the murders were complete fiction. They were something that, you know, I came up with in my own imagination. So I I would hope that if anybody tries to put them together with something that's taken place there, that I've I've written it well enough that it's not offensive and that they maybe can see where there was um, even some sympathy, you know, put into that. A process.
1: Because I, I don't know if John told you this, but uh, I'm sad to uh, say this, to report this to you, but it's amazing how little people in this area actually know about the true facts of what has gone on in these cases. I mean, I still get calls from people uh, here on this show or emails from people uh, in relation to this that think that the, the all these Murders that we talk about that took place uh, in the Freetown State Forest are, are related to the highway killings. So to all these other cases that have happened uh, over the years, they think that everything is kind of intertwined. And it may be. There may be a bigger picture of it. But, you know, to them, the guy who committed the murder five years ago uh, was Carl Drew. You know, they just don't understand all the facts of the case. Yep. So uh, I'm just afraid of those people who don't make an informed Read of it, which is why I suggest reading Dark Woods as kind of the companion piece to it and getting the information. I thought it was interesting that John said, too, Terry, that you didn't want to read Dark Woods or Mortal Remains. You didn't want to go into this with any kind of preconceived notions.
0: Exactly. And I didn't want anybody to come back and say, oh, she took that out of my book.
1: You Mm -hmm. know,
0: um, she got that idea from me. So I had told John when he had brought both those books to my attention that I wasn't reading anything until this book was complete and finished
1: well when you write and, crime fiction doesn't that happen anyway i mean how many different ways can somebody be murdered The <laughs> so sooner or later <laughs> everybody's going to accuse you of hey i'm the one that thought of swallowing unpopped popcorn and then sitting on a heater
2: yeah
0: <laughs> right but i mean you know if you read a book sometimes a certain passage might stick out in your mind and you want to incorporate that because you just like the way it sounds mm-hmm. or you know somebody has maybe a caption under a picture, and it just its very captivating, so you want to try to incorporate that. So I, I wanted to steer clear of the books that had been completed already, so that did not happen, and I could not be accused of that.
1: And the other problem that happens quite a bit, too, is somebody else has such a, a clear and concise summary of facts of something that you unintentionally, when trying to summarizing yourself, kind of just copy what it is that they wrote.
0: Exactly. Okay. Right.
1: I mean, I think that the other problem with, with it, too, is uh, when you're dealing with the crime genre and and with the way that it's going about, you're going to have people who have no background in police work uh, who are just kind of making up stories based on uh, what they've seen on television, you know, what they see on CSI. And then they're going to accuse you, somebody who has actually been out there and experienced this for yourself and, and saying that you're just borrowing it off of them when, you know, you were living it long before they wrote it.
0: Oh, trust me. True, true. Police work is nothing like CSI. <laughs> I wish. Next,
1: you're going to tell me that true paranormal research is nothing like ghost hunters.
2: Wow. That I
0: don't know. I'm sorry, John. You can answer that one. <laughs> well,
2: we won't go there. But, but no, it, it was a pleasure working with her um, to get this out. And you know, a lot of people that read the book will be very surprised at this twist and turns that they get throughout the book and. Very surprised at the ending of it. Um, the way she wrote it kind of leaves it open for another book, and uh, hopefully there will be another one to follow. We will see.
1: Hopefully there won't have to be murders that take place to inspire it, like real murders. Let's <laughs> hope that that doesn't happen.
2: Yes,
0: hopefully. Oh, ho- I, no, this that, that is necessary for this next. One. Yeah, it
2: will right. be necessary. have <laughs> got plenty, for the plenty
1: to work one. with. And plus, if it did happen, John, you know, you'd be the first suspect then because they'd be like, "Well, yeah, here is a guy writing books about it." Yeah. No. So, when when you are talking about the possibility of, of writing further books, I mean, uh, y- you've got to think, too, that there's the ability to explore other aspects of the paranormal that happens out there in these stories. So, it doesn't have to be just about more murders, right? It could be, you know, the the same John Bingham character could be exploring other things that take place out there.
2: Huh. It, boy, that sounds like you almost nailed it, huh, Terry? <laughs>
0: yeah that's that a
2: little bit strange wasn't it, it it is um you know and obviously we can't say too much about it but sure it does go into other aspects of my life and that's what that's probably about where we can leave it um and and you're right about that you know it's it's other other investigations that john bingham has maybe what got him started um things that go on at home things like that hmm so
1: well that definitely sounds interesting now uh you, you've been able to write John into the book, Terry. you going to write yourself into it, or? Oh
0: no!
2: <laughs> Nothing wrong
1: with that. Nobody would blame you.
0: Absolutely not. Good. I, I I like to um, keep myself a mystery. <laughs> we we might just
2: we might just have to make her a special guest investigator on one of the investigations. Yeah, there there might be a need
1: to have a former police officer that consults on on something. Uh, exactly. You know, a phone call to Texas. Yeah. You know,
0: maybe I'll bring my my Texas team up there, and we'll investigate with your team, she she is part of an investigating team.
2: Well, you're an
1: investigator yourself?
0: Yes, I belong to East Texas Paranormal.
1: And how long have you been doing that for?
0: I've been with East Texas for about two years.
1: And uh, could you say that there's anything down there that would even approach the the paranormal uh, uh, palooza that is the the Freetown State Forest and the Bridgewater Triangle?
0: Not that I've heard or seen so far, no. That's why I want to come see the area for myself.
1: Well, when you do, I can tell you, uh, you will fall in love with it, not for the amount of activity and and the stories that come out of it, but just because it really is a beautiful place to have such a a negative reputation. Kind of like Texas, Uh, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Little East Coast bias for y'all down there.
0: That's okay. We're used to that. (laughs) uh,
1: Now, when when you do get the chance to come up here, though, uh, I, I mean there's going to be so many of these sites that you're going to see that you wrote about and that you you've probably seen through photos that John has sent you. But, uh, I mean, are you worried at all about it not being able to live up to what you've created both in your mind and in the book?
0: Oh, absolutely not. I think that it's going to be probably more than what I'm expecting. So when you are talking
1: to about the possibility of, of, uh, further books, uh, in this series and about this character. I'm assuming, too, that you must have a number of other works and other stories that you have in mind that you're, you'll be working on.
0: Well, I have a series already uh, that I've been working on. I have two of the of three books out. I was going to do a longer series, but since I started on this, on this start gift, it's taking me down a different road that I enjoy much more. So I'm going to, I, I don't want to say hurriedly, finish the third book, but I want to get the third book finished and be done with that series because i'm enjoying this other type of writing so much more
1: Does and makes sense no no absolutely <laughs> i mean and when you, when you have a story that pops up like this and, and you have the ability to explore such a place as the freetown state forest i mean i can't imagine that it happens that often both as a paranormal investigator both as a former police officer and as a writer i mean it's just it's rich in all three of those areas for
2: you uh to continue to explore
0: Absolutely, and I have every intention of doing so.
2: Oh, you got you know um, Big Jim Jones from uh, Prism down in Maryland, correct, him. Mm-hmm. Yep. He came up to Lizzie Borden's about two years ago, and uh, when he came up here, he had never been to the forest, and he's a police officer. And uh, he was born away when he heard the history of Carl Drew, heard all the history of the police, and when I took him out that weekend to check it out, he was like, this is an absolute dream as an investigator and a cop to be able to check out some of these locations right. that have such history behind it. And I think Terry's going to feel the same way when she gets here.
1: Well, without a doubt. It, it's, it may be a dream to come up after the fact, but it's probably a nightmare for people like Alan Alves and, and those who went through it. And it is. And and if only they had somebody like, like uh, Big Jim or, or like Terry who could have been somebody that they leaned on at the time. And that's what's uh, what's amazing about the, the characters that you've created is at least, you know, they have that ear and they have that person to lean on yep. when the people who actually went through these cases at the time could only really scratch their heads and and, and Talk, what it did to their lives. Talking
2: with Alan, it's this things that he doesn't even remember, or it's that he doesn't want to remember, right? Because of how horrific it was. Um, so, like for the for instance, the underground cave. He couldn't remember where it was. He kept telling me, trying to tell me, trying to tell me. Finally, mutual friends of Oz found it. And, uh, you know, it's just it's it's too bad that that it put and weighed that much on him.
1: Right. It, and it is. It's a matter of how much of it is that he uh, can't remember it and how much of it is that he taught himself not to remember. Yep. It. And uh, I think that when he put that part of his life behind him, you know, he was able to do that. Some people would never be able to. And uh, yep. I get the feeling, John, that you're one of those people that, you know, the 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 history of it's never going to leave you.
2: Yeah, it won't. It won't just because it's always going to be there. I mean, I grew up there and I'm always going to want to know more and learn as much more as I can. And I constantly follow the, the whole situation with Robin to see mm. what's going on. And because it, now it's kind of just it's almost like it's I don't want to say family, but it's almost like it's part of my life now because it's
1: of, it's done like what we talked at the beginning of the show. It's drawing you in. It's yep. sucked you in. And It's not letting yep. you go. Yep. And uh, unfortunately, it is a saga that just keeps going on and on. I mean, uh, like I said uh, earlier, we'll, we'll never really have all the answers of what went on in the true story, and at least we can get to the bottom of the mystery in the fictionalized account of it, uh, yep. that being Dark Gift, which is available now, and you can get it uh, on Amazon, and you can get it uh, both as an e-book, and you can order the hard copy as well.
2: Order the hard copy, ebooks, any type of download, you can get it on via Kindle, Nook, uh, you can get it on your laptop, cell phones, anything like that.
1: And the ebook version is only three dollars. Yes. So you can't go wrong with that. I mean, I know people who, uh, you know, when they when they buy an ebook, uh, it's a lot different than buying a hard copy of a book. You know, it's it's almost like ebooks have that kind of uh, book sale feeling to them. Of you know what, I'll take a chance. Yeah. And I think that that's what people do with these ebooks, especially when they're so uh, you know. Uh, Priced like $3 It's something like You say to yourself Yeah let me give this a shot I I don't know if I would Necessarily read a book About murders Because that's just Not my cup of tea But then you read it And you get hooked And then the next thing You know they're they're Picking up jaded feelings And jaded visions And and they're having (laughs) You know A whole uh, whole Little murder spree For themselves In their minds It's right
0: (laughs) Well it's not all About murder either There's a lot of Paranormal you know Mediums and So on and so forth In the book too It's very entertaining It's not so dark
1: well, but the good thing is, you know, is is there's al- also a lot of sick people out there that'll be more than happy to pay three dollars for the dark stuff. Yes, <laughs> yes, you're talking to one of Yes. You. But uh, no, I mean it, it's it's perfectly priced for people, so it's uh, it's one of those things with the, the ebook medium has become huge for helping people tell their stories, yep. and and as a from the business end of it too, you know, you'd rather sell. A million copies at three dollars a piece, than only sell a hundred thousand copies at fifteen dollars. Well, a
2: that's piece it, that's exactly. And again, talking like we did at the beginning, you know, her having to guide me through all this, mm-hmm. I was like, "You really want to go that cheap with it?" And she's like, "Absolutely." And that's one of the things that she said. You'd rather sell, you know, a million copies at three versus letting them go for fifteen dollars a piece and selling ten.
1: Right. So uh, congratulations then on seeing the future of the publishing industry long before the publishing industry itself has, Terry. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> Thank you. they're still trying to figure it out for themselves. <laughs> so now your website is tljonesauthor.com if people want to go and find out not more about not only more about this book but also more about jaded feelings and jaded visions. And also they can uh, get in touch with you there and they can kind of keep up with some of your other works as they're happening.
0: Yes, they can. And also on Facebook, tljonesauthor
1: and the website for your paranormal group is?
0: East Texas Paranormal. Dot com. Oh. You ask me that for the website, I'm sorry. Well they can
1: they can just Facebook. go to They can go to TL dot com and click contact me and send you an email and you can get back to them on it.
0: There you go.
1: And uh and of course John's website is any paranormal dot com. And uh and dot com equipment will be launching. Com, uh, tomorrow.
2: And I know uh, I know Craig's in the chat room, so he'll uh, he'll probably put up the uh other one, we have a Haunted Histories page, uh, N-E-P-R, Haunted History at Weebly.com, I believe of what it is.
1: All right. So, and you can get all into all that from anyparanormalresearch.com. Yep. So uh, definitely check out those sites. We are about out of time for this week's show, but we will be back next week uh, when we'll be talking more about the paranormal right after 10 of clock we say like we like say 10 15 eastern because it takes a while to set all this stuff up uh, but remember you can always uh, access all the podcasts and all the video archives on our website and on youtube and itunes and everywhere you can find the feed uh, also the spooky alternative feed is up it's been approved by itunes uh, it's still not showing up when you browse so if you search for spooky alternative christopher balzano you will definitely find the feed for Spooky Alternative if you want to sign up for it and catch some of the other programming that we are now offering on a weekly basis. Uh, there's all you know That's where you'll find Spooky Crossroads, the podcast feed of that, as well as uh, some brand new content as well. If you love Spooky South Coast, if you love what we do here, and we love doing it for you, this is your chance to kind of get a little bit more inside and get a little bit of a different bend on things. Uh, so definitely check out Spooky Alternative. It's run by our main man, Chris Balzano. He's the one who's putting it all together and if you want to put a show on spooky alternative then uh, all you have to do is email us spooky crew at spooky dot com and we will help you make that happen so as i said we will be back next week hopefully monies will be back next week because it's a lot of trouble man
2: it's a lot to set up directing directing
1: the cameras and changing the shots and running the internet and running the computer but we got through it now the question is once i shut everything down you know, are we still going to have it? Yeah. (laughs) We're going to be able to upload it
2: all. And plus it's all packing it up yourself.
1: Yeah, it's true too. I mean, I, there's times that I'm carrying out four or five bags out here by myself. So luckily I'll be making John help me tonight. So, uh, (laughs) until next week. Uh, and again, spooky alternatives, stay tuned to it all week long. Uh, spirit connections Tuesdays at 7 PM on spooky TV, spooky crossroads Wednesdays at 9 PM on spooky TV. You, You can't go wrong. I mean, we keep you entertained all week long, but, uh, If you're not into that and you want to just wait then, until next week, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg, and we want you all to stay spooktacular.